welcome back for those of you that maybe didn't make it back last week. Um, good to see everyone here. Good to be able to get together again, yeah? Um, welcome for those of you that are watching online. Great to see you as well. And it's so cool that we're able uh, to just have our church family come together in these various uh, mediums that we've got. Um, and so the, the online versus uh, the in-person. And it's just great for us to, to be back together. And we have been talking uh, through the Sermon on the Mount for the last uh, few weeks um, as we've uh, started this new year and, and this, this new season of life that, that we're in. We've been talking about how the words of Jesus and the kingdom culture that he has created uh, turns our world upside down. And how looking at the words of Jesus and what he spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount as we've gone through it progressively, um, how, how it really does turn our world upside down and how everything that he taught uh, really is in many ways the opposite of what, uh, what we think in terms of uh, how, how we are uh, created um, and what we think um, things should be. Jesus very much flips it all on its head and he does that over and over and over again throughout his life and his ministry. Uh, and he even does that to us now as well, um, as I'm sure you have uh, felt that at times in your life. But he, uh, he did this through the, the kingdom culture that he created in that the fact that the kingdom of God is for everyone um, and for everyone uh, to be a part of and, and for all of us to, uh, to also uh, bring everyone in. Uh, as well, and so that culture that that he's created through uh, through his teaching, through his his life, and through the example that he gave, um, is something that I, I feel uh, we as the church holistically desperately need to uh, maybe get back to. Maybe that's a word, uh, a way to say it. But you know, we learned a lot through 2020, and we're all still feeling the the effects. And and some of us things maybe are are just continuing through, and it doesn't even feel like the calendar really flipped. Um, but as we move into 2021, we're all looking to move forward and we're all looking um, for what maybe we can do to continue to move forward. And if we take the lessons that God taught us and the things that happened in 2020 and we let them polarize us and take us back, um, we, we will never move forward. And so we can either, we, we have that choice. We can either take a step back and we can let those things polarize us and keep us where we were, or we can learn from those things and, and we can move forward. And we can push forward into 2021. And, uh, and so as, as we do that, as we do move forward, which I hope is what, uh, what you're looking to God for, is to move forward. Um, I hope that you'll, uh, as, as we get into God's word here, um, I, I want us to just pray uh, again to just ask the Lord to move uh, over these next few minutes. So will you pray with me? Jesus, I pray, Lord, that as, as we do look at your word and, and we look at, at the words um, that you spoke those years ago, God, in the way that those are still impactful to us today and the way that they apply to us uh, so much, even today, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, uh, would move in just a powerful way right now. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us as, as we see you really get to the heart of the matter here. So, Lord, I pray that you would move, that you would challenge us and change us as we together look at the Sermon on the Mount. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I want to start with um, a picture of something that I'm sure you're all familiar with. And you're probably even familiar with the idea and the analogy, and that's okay. Um, because it's really going to help as, uh, as you really see where Jesus goes with this. And, and this is the picture I want to start with here. 
And you may have guessed, this is not just one big white mountain, um, it's an iceberg. And if you know anything about an iceberg, and you understand it, when I, when I think of an iceberg, we think of Titanic um, and, and all of that. And so we, I, th I think we understand the idea of the iceberg and that there's, there's things below the surface. And that idea of the iceberg that, um, you know, the top of it looks like one thing. But when, when we really back up and we see the rest, and you see the rest of what's really below on an iceberg, you really see how much of what is below the surface really makes such an impact on what is above the water. And there's, there's a very different picture of the iceberg as opposed to cutting it off here or seeing it all here. And they say that on average, most icebergs, what is sticking above the water is probably only 10% of the size of the iceberg. So 90% is, on average, is below the surface. And this is an incredible analogy, I think, that we can use for, for what Jesus was getting at, to, uh, getting at with the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6 of the book of Matthew. And we see that as he tells us how to live as followers of Jesus and the culture and community that Jesus intended, we really see that when we focus on the surface, we forget about what's below. When we focus on the surface, we forget about what's below. And as you know, the story with icebergs and how the Titanic you know, supposedly sank from hitting, hitting the iceberg, and, it, and it's because it hit what was below uh, the, the surface of the water. Nobody realized how big uh, the iceberg really was, or at least as the story goes, but it really begs the question when you see an iceberg and you see if that's the 10% is what's sticking out of the water, then what's really below the surface? What's down there? What's, what's holding that up? Is it, is it danger? Is it... Uh, is, is there really good support down there for, for what is sticking up above the water? I think you see the analogies here that we're drawing uh, to ourselves because it's also the kind of people that we should be as a part of the community of believers in the way that Jesus intended. And that's, that's a lot of what he was talking about. Let's, let's bring this home to ourselves. What about our Facebook posts, our tweets, our Instagram photos? You know, we react to things and we post things from a surface level perspective. We do. We do. Or, or you know, we, we put up these false fronts. Some, some of it is just the society in, in which we live now, and that's not an excuse. It's just the truth of it. On the surface, we want others to see what's on the surface and how we react to things, how we treat others uh, with the things that we do, with what we do, with, with how, uh, how we make decisions, with what we have, with what we do financially, with what we, how, we, how we give or maybe how we don't give, ultimately we get more concerned with how we look. We really are very much more concerned with this than we are with what's underneath. We are very concerned with, with how we look and we will compromise what is below the surface for the sake of what is seen above the water. We don't always do it intentionally, but we will. Let me say it again. We will compromise what is below the surface for the sake of what is seen above the water. Sometimes it's unintentional. Sometimes it's, it's maybe because it's just a habit of this is, this is just how we are. 
But many times it's because we're more concerned with this. We're more concerned with, with how we look, maybe as opposed to how Jesus looks or what Jesus thinks. What are we really looking for? Are we looking really for validation from a whole lot of people that their validation shouldn't matter nearly as much as God's? It's kind of tough to hear, but it's the truth. And that is what Jesus was getting at in chapter 6 of the book of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you do have your Bibles or the Bible app and you want to follow along with me, um, jump to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be going through a majority of the chapter today. Um, we're going to, I mean, we really are going to go from beginning to end. We're going to skip a few parts in there. Um, but for the most part, we're going to be going through the entire chapter. So I hope that you'll follow along with me there. And we're going to start right at the very first verse because Jesus doesn't pull any punches right from the beginning. In verse 1, he says, Take care not to practice your righteousness in the sight of people, to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So righteousness is another word for right living. And so he's saying right from the very beginning, Right at the outset, the entire premise of what he is getting to for the rest of this chapter, he states right there in that very first verse. Everything that he's talking about is right there, and his point is clear, is that God cares about how we do the things that we do and the good works that we do. He cares about that and, and with what the motive is behind it, just as much as he cares about what exactly we're doing. In fact, I would even say that he cares more about what is below the surface than he does about what we're doing. It's, it's the why, the why behind the what. That, that is really what will turn this world upside down. That if you let the words of Jesus here and, and exactly what he is getting to over these next few verses really impact you, and this whole idea, really, you get your arms around it, this, this is what will turn your world upside down and our world upside down. Because very much of our society that we live in right now is the other way around. These spiritual disciplines that he gets into next, as Jesus goes through, he hits three spiritual disciplines next. And he's, he talks about giving, and he talks about prayer, and he talks about fasting. And so why would he go to those things next? Well, the main reason is because in that day, in modern Judaism, in that day, those were three things, those were three like personal requirements that were the most important to everybody then, but these are also important for us today. The reason they were the most important is, is actually goes back to the statement that I had earlier with the how we look, because everybody in that day, in terms of their righteousness and their religiousness, was very much concerned with how I look to everyone else. Do I look like the big spiritual man on campus, or do I not, because I care more about what everybody else thinks about me than I do maybe about what God thinks about me. And so I've got to make sure that I'm looking the part and I'm acting the part. And Jesus really shoots these down real quick and puts them in, in perspective. But these things are important for us as well. These are important for us not just because of what they show others. It's because of what they do for our relationship with the Lord when handled in the right way and with the right motive and with the right intent. So let's jump down to verse 3. Chapter 6, verse 3, Jesus says this, But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your charitable giving will be in secret, and your Father, 
who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Remember this line. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Just remember that line. Now, I want to go back here to the beginning here because he says, but when you give to the poor, he doesn't say if. (laughs) He says, but when you give to the poor. There are some things that Jesus goes through here that he doesn't give an ultimatum. Like, if you feel like doing this, he's basically saying, when you do this, because it's just expected that this is something that you will be doing if you were a follower of Jesus, when you give to the poor, do not let your uh, your left hand know what your right hand is doing. See, it's the underlying principle of the inside mattering more than the outside. And, and, and that fact that it should be between you and God and that it should be in secret. And then he continues in verse five. And when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they will be seen by people Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But as for you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use thoughtless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So a few things here. Jesus begins at the beginning, he says, and when you pray, again, there's the when you pray, not if. And he says, you are to not be like the hypocrites. Now this is interesting. I don't know if you know what the word hypocrites, like where that word comes from and what that really means. It is actually a word that comes from the Greek that means, are you ready for it? Mask wearer. Just let you sit on that one for a minute. Right? So get all those thoughts out of your head. Don't post anything. Right? I know what you're thinking. Right? Okay. Are we done? Okay. Let's bring it back around. Let's bring it back around to ourselves because it's, it's true. But really what, what, it, what that goes back to is, so in ancient Greece, and you've probably seen the, something along these lines, maybe in like movies or something that you've seen, and, and you see like the theater in ancient Greece, and they've got these masks on that have these like extreme expressions on their face, like super happy or super sad or like evil and like that kind of stuff. And, and maybe you've seen those in, in some movies. And so those are actually where that word comes from, from those masks that they wear, and the reason that their expressions were so big and so um, exaggerated is so that even the people in the very back row could see the kind of character that was on stage. Think about that. That's where this word comes from, and this is, is really what, what Jesus was talking to. And again, he says, the Father who sees in secret will bless you openly essentially, is, is what he is saying there. Three times in the chapter, Jesus says this thing about, about how what, what you do in secret, that your father will bless you when, when it is done in secret, and that if you're looking for applause, is really what he's getting to here, is, is what he's saying. If, if you're looking for applause, then that's going to be the only reward that you get. If you're just trying to walk around and, and, and do these things and, so that you will get applause and that you think, God is going to give you applause and you're barking up the wrong tree because your reward, the only reward that you're going to get 
is the applause that you might get from a few people who you fool. He's, he's being really clear here. And then he moves on. And he teaches uh, about the Lord's Prayer. If you, if you read through uh, the next few verses, he goes through the Lord's Prayer, but he's, he's really careful to say, even right here, before he gets into that, that the Lord's Prayer here, that this is a template. This is not supposed to be a word-for-word ritual that we do that is meaningless. It's a template for how we are to pray. And, and he's really getting to, if you look at the words that he's saying, he's really getting, getting into the heart behind what he is saying that we should pray and how we should pray and the heart behind how we should pray. But again, in secret, meaning not to just be out praying and everyone look at me how awesome and lofty my prayers are. Look at how spiritual I am. I can't wait to tell you. You're probably not that spiritual if that's you. The principles matter here. The heart matters. He even talks about forgiveness. Another below-the-surface ideal. And then he takes prayer even to the next level. He kind of progressively does this with everything, doesn't he? Next verse. It says, But as for you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by people, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There it is. That's the third time. There it is again. So fasting, it's uh, is used in the Bible is, um, you know, not to eat. And that self-denial, um, that really it's, it's you're choosing to not partake in food simply because you want to make sure that all of your focus is on, on the Lord. And, and because your spiritual hunger is so deep that you're willing to put aside uh, your own, I guess, personal nourishment so that you can be spiritually nourished. And it really is an, an awesome thing. Um, I, I taught on it back uh, almost a year ago, funny enough, February 9th. Uh, if you want a deep dive into fasting, I, that's, that's when I taught about it. You can go back on the website and, and, and look there. That was February 9th. Um, but let me just give you a quick cliff notes on it because you'll see why Jesus got to this and how this actually applies to everything that we're looking at today. Um, because really fasting, it's an obedience issue. It really is. Because again, when you fast, Jesus is not saying that this is an optional thing, that followers of Jesus pray and fast. So when you fast, that this is the, the heart and the mentality that you should have um, as you do. And, and your determination in prayer, it is so intense. Or maybe spiritual warfare in your life is so intense. Or there's, there's something that you really just want to make sure that you are laser focused to hear from God on something. It's so intense that you temporarily set aside your physical needs um, to give yourself more wholly to prayer and seeking the will of God. So why does Jesus immediately go here next? Well, partially because it was just assumed that everyone who was a follower of Jesus uh, and, a, and a follower of the way uh, prayed and fasted, but also because this really had a lot to do with the, uh, the surface level versus the below the surface thing. Um, because prayer and fasting, when it's done right, when it's done in secret, is an incredible thing. But there were uh, people in the day back then, because of these three things were a big deal, that would walk around and let everybody know, I am fasting now, and all of that stuff, and you know, being really out there about it. So that everybody knew how spiritual they really were. And, um, and, and Jesus is saying, no, no, that's, 
That's, that's the complete wrong way to, to approach this because it has so much more to do with what's on the inside than it does with what's on the outside. It has everything to do with your heart and not nearly as much to do with the words that are coming out of your mouth or the food that you're eating or not eating. It has everything to do with the heart. And then he moves on to something else that also has to do more with the heart than it does. And he moves on to possessions and finances. So he just keeps making it more awkward, right? And so he keeps going here. And he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. And I'm sure this part is familiar to, to a lot of us. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And there's a lot of truth in that. Um, it, it's, it's very true. But it's pretty clear what Jesus is saying here. Um, earthly treasures, not intrinsically bad. Earthly treasures are, are not bad. But at the same time, we should not dedicate our lives to just gaining more and more stuff and storing up more and more stuff. Absolutely, is there, is there anything wrong with, with working hard and, and having money and taking care of our families and all of those things? No, in fact, those are great biblical stewardship principles that we should follow, absolutely. But if our goal is really to just store it all up and more and more and more, and we're maybe not investing in the kingdom of God, then good grief, why? It's, it's at surface level focus because where your treasure is, your heart is. If you want to see where somebody's treasure really is, look at their checkbook because you will see where they really invest. Shouldn't our treasure be the kingdom of God? Shouldn't, shouldn't our treasure be the kingdom of God, expanding the kingdom of God into the world? Because let's be honest, y'all, that's what truly lasts that's what truly lasts. We can, in, we can invest in, and we can get all kinds of gains in, in various ways in our life now while we're here on earth. And I know, we've all heard it a million times. You can't take any of it with you, and it's so true. But you know what you can take with you? You know what you can see for eternity? What you invest in for the kingdom of God. Because for those of you that are financial people, your ROI on that is eternal. That means return on investment if you didn't know that. Your return on investment is eternal in what you invest in in the kingdom of God. I can't think of a more worthwhile investment than in the kingdom of God. And then he moves on, verse 25. It says, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is this life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky that they do not sow nor reap nor gather crops into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single day to his lifespan? So there's a difference between worry and concern. We've talked about this before. Worry is accepting responsibility that God never intended you to have. But I found another quote as I was studying and, and reading um, from a commentary by a, a guy named David Guzik. And here's what he wrote. I, I thought this was so profound, especially in what we're talking about now. He said this. 
there is a difference between a godly sense of responsibility and an ungodly, untrusting worry. Now listen to this part. Stick with me. Look at me. However, ungodly, untrusting sense of worry usually masquerades as responsibility. Let me read that part again. An ungodly, untrusting sense of worry usually masquerades as responsibility. We are really good, and I am just as guilty at justifying sin and justifying worry to ourselves. I can talk myself into a lot of stuff, and I can justify my actions and justify um, maybe the things that I'm doing because I think they're right or because I've got to do this or I masquerade it with responsibility. As guys, we are great at this one too because we're, we're we're the ones that we got to fix everything and we got to take care of our family and we got to do this and we got to do that. And we can use the excuse of responsibility to do this or that or to make that decision or to make this decision. Sometimes it's, it's well worth it, and sometimes it's, it's right, and other times we take it way too far because maybe we're being worry warts or maybe we're taking something completely out of the hands of God that should be left right there. And you know the most important thing to the Lord? It's you. You are the most important thing to the Lord. It says it right here. You may think you're not, And if you don't, if you don't think that you are, please, can I introduce you to Jesus? And can I tell you about what he thinks about you? You will find it all throughout Scripture. And you're like, Jay, look, this sounds good. I get it. I understand that. But I just can't stop worrying. And I know that the season that we're in right now and, and the stuff that we are going through, you know, some of our surface level tendencies are are really just therapy for dealing with the stress and and the anxiety that this life throws at us. Stress of of COVID and and all of the things that we've all gone through the past year. So what do we do? Does Jesus just leave it at there? No. No, he doesn't. He loves us too much. He doesn't just leave it there. In fact, he goes right to what we should do. and And it's not an easy thing. It's a simple statement, but it's beyond, way, way beyond simple to accomplish. But it's what we should strive for every day, and, and he says this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, meaning everything he's talked about before, all these things will be provided to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen to that, right? See, this is the whole point of everything that he's been talking about until now. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. Because when we seek him first, seeking him first, that's the tip of the iceberg. To get back to that iceberg analogy... If only 10% is really what's sticking out of the water and, and there's 90% down below the surface, imagine what happens to our life if we seek him first in everything that we do. If that is the tip of the iceberg, what is going to be under the water? 
What is that 90% going to be down there? We seek him first in everything. In order to find everything that he has in store for us, we need to seek him first. We seek him first in our actions. We seek him first in how we treat others. We seek him first in, uh, you know, to go with the examples that, that, that Jesus went through, we seek him first in how we give. We seek him first in how we pray. We seek him first in, in our provisions and in our finances, as he talked about there. We seek him first, and yeah, we're gonna screw it up. We're gonna mess it up. Absolutely we will. We are sinful people. We are not gonna get this right all the time. But we, we will screw it up, and we will continue to. But don't forget Do not forget that he has been faithful when we have been foolish. When you look back in your life, if you've been a follower of Jesus for however long you have, you know this is true. You know this is true. You know that he has been faithful when we have been foolish, and we're going to continue to be foolish. Hopefully, those times will get less and less as we grow but you know what? The Christian life, it's not something where we get to a point and we're done. It's a, it's a continual process. God continually breaks us apart and puts us back together and we get stronger every time. And we continue to grow and we continue to grow and we continue to, to know more and more about him. But we need to remember that he loves us right where we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay there. He loves you where you are but he loves you too much to let you stay there. Whether that's in the past, in the present, or in the future, he will be faithful even when we are foolish. See, we need to remember who we are, and we need to remember whose we are. You are a child of the king, and don't you forget it. Look at what, look at what it said in 1 Peter. So, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Do not, do not take lightly these three words, God's special possession. That should give you goosebumps. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy is, is, uh, is not getting what you deserve. He has done so much for us, and he wants so much more for you than what is on the surface level. His purpose for us begins with what is below the surface. That, that change that can happen starts when we seek him first and it has a residual effect on everything that's below. That is the kingdom culture of Jesus Christ. That should be the kingdom culture of his church. So that's why the connection point for the day is this. And it's a very simple thing, but it's not a very simple thing. And it's the words of Jesus. And it's exactly what he was getting to and where he was getting to. He said, seek him first. He said to seek him first. And when we seek him first, it will turn our world upside down. Seek him first and turn your world upside down. And when your world personally gets turned upside down because you are seeking Jesus first in everything, the residual effect will turn our world upside down collectively.
I don't believe for a minute that God is even close to being done with Connect Church. Not even for a second. I believe that we've just scratched the surface of what he wants to do with this body of believers and with his church. We're in such an amazing place right now to where we can make such an impact on our community for the kingdom. But if it doesn't begin here, if it doesn't begin individually with you and with me, seeking him first, we're never gonna see the reality of that happen. Because what is below the surface is eventually gonna show. Because that's what's holding everything up. And so we need to be seeking him first. And not only will it turn your world upside down, but it will turn our world upside down. And the external effect of that will be incredible. Will you bow your head with me? Seek him first and turn your world upside down in every decision that we make. If maybe you've never sought the Lord or maybe you have been seeking him and you've just been wrestling with the fact that you need to make that decision to come to him, then I pray that today would be the day that you would. For a lot of us, though, there are many of us here in person or watching online that we have made that decision. We have a relationship with Jesus, but maybe we're not seeking him first in everything. Maybe there's something that, that Jesus got to today that really hits you right between the eyes. I would encourage you to seek him first in that area right now. Don't wait. Pray and ask the Lord to, to maybe break your heart and show you where you need to seek him first in everything. It's not easy. But it's a lifestyle. It's not, it's not even so much of we got to do this, we got to do that. It's a way of living. I hope that you've been challenged to make a change in some way, shape, or form there. And it will strengthen your relationship with God because it has everything to do with what's below the surface. And that will affect what is above the, what is above the water. And if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, I'd love nothing more than to pray with you, to show you God's word where it says that you can know for sure. It, for, for sure. It says in 1 John 5, these things were written so that you may know that you have eternal life. If you're watching online, you can go to connectchurch.xyz slash next and you can find out more about that or you can just comment in the chat and, and somebody would, that's there would love to, to show you what it says in God's word about how to be saved. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time that we can get together and that we can look in your word, Lord, that we can, we can be challenged by what, by what you're telling us. Father, I pray that we would seek you first in all that we do. Lord, if we can do that, if we can make that change individually, I know that, that that collectively will make an impact on this world that will matter in ways that we can't possibly imagine. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in each and every one of our hearts to that end because we want to be your hands and feet and we want to connect people to Christ, community, and purpose. 
Father, thank you for using us, your chosen vehicle, the church. And I pray that we would get stronger from this as we move forward. And Lord, if there is one that doesn't know you as Savior, Father, I pray that today might be the day of salvation for them, that they may come to know you. Whether they're watching at home or they're here in person, Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in such a mighty way in them that they just would not leave. There would be no distractions until they get that right with you. Father, be with us this week as we go out. Keep us safe. Help us to seek you first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.